So if you want to turn to, to Titus, Titus chapter 2. And uh, you remember last week we were reading through and looking at some of the attributes of, of people's lives who are not following sound doctrine. That there is somehow some wrong understanding that they have about God, that, that they have been teaching, that they have been uh, living out. And, and what happens is, is it, it impacts our lives. Um, it's a true statement that, that wrong theology results in wrong behavior. And so in the end of, of chapter 1, we saw things like verse 11 that talk about um, how these teachers were, were greedy, that they were preaching for uh, shameful gain. Uh, verse 12, where it talks about them as liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Um, they were devoted to, uh, to myths and mysteries. Uh, their minds and consciences were, were defiled. Uh, they were detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Paul now talks about, in the next section, he wants to talk about how right theology results in right behavior. And um, so we're going to read verses uh, 1 through, uh, through 9 here in, in chapter 2 of Titus. Um, Lord, as we focus here on your word, we just pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts, uh, that you would move in our midst, um, that we would hear your truth um, here today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching to show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not be put to shame having nothing to say that is evil about us slaves are be submissive to their own masters in everything they are well they are to be well pleasing not argumentative not pilfering but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So when he says that, that as for you, teach what accords to sound doctrine. Um, what he's saying again is that, that he wants, he, he, Paul is encouraging Titus to proclaim 
what behaviors go along with sound teaching. And we have this list of of describing the different generations of older men, of older women, of younger women, of younger men, of how they all are to uh, live out the sound teaching that that Jesus is is, uh, placing into their lives through Titus and through uh, the other uh, uh, elders and teachers of the of, of the gospel here in these churches. Um, but it's easy to get confused that this is, that these behaviors, these character traits that are being described are the sound doctrine that they are supposed to be teaching. That that's what he is supposed to be proclaiming as these, uh, these uh, uh, character traits. But that gets us in the wrong direction. Instead of coming to the place of recognizing what Christ is doing in us and that that our life flows out of a right relationship with Christ, we start getting focused on all of these rules and regulations and and it's a checklist that we can go off of. Uh, But instead, these kinds of passages in Scripture are wonderful points for us to do a self-assessment, to be able to stop and say, is my life reflecting these kinds of characteristics? Am I relating to other people in the ways that are being described here? If not, the problem isn't that I need to work hard at trying to change this behavior. What that is, it's an indication that somehow I, am, I have a wrong understanding of God. My relationship with God has some kind of a break in it and I need to focus on that sound doctrine that will then help transform my life so that I will start reflecting these characteristics. Um, So he goes into describing these different generations. Older men are to be sober-minded. I'm not sure exactly... I guess I I understand the ESV, the English Standard Version, translates that sober-minded. Most other translations will will translate it temperate or even sober, because the Greek word that's being used there is speaking directly of intoxication or the lack of being intoxicated. Um, It is talking about uh, not being overcome with too much alcohol. and, and that fits because we see that that seems to be here in these first couple of chapters, that seems to be uh, uh, an issue that is coming up again and again that Paul is addressing uh, when he's encouraging Titus in his ministry to the, the people of Crete. Um, you remember that, uh, that the overseers were, were uh, uh, instructed not to be um, given to wine. In the ESV, it talks about them being drunkards. Um, we see here later on when it talks about older women, how they um, are not to be slaves to too much wine. Um, that seems to be an issue, and there certainly are those that, that have uh, then surmised that, that there was perhaps a, an, an alcoholism issue that was going on there in Crete, and, and Paul was trying to speak out against that. But sober-minded takes us a little bit further in, in talking about not just 
sober as far as alcohol, but anything that would, that would be done in excess, that would take and would distract from our relationship with God. Um, that there would be anything of excess in our lives that we would be pursuing that would take us further and further away from God. And so temperate and sober-minded are, are also um, uh, accurate uh, translations and helpful for us uh, to be able to, to look at. Uh, older men are to be dignified and self-controlled. They are to be sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. I, I love this trio, and Paul uses this same trio in a number of, of, of his different letters. We read it in, in his letter to the Thessalonians as well. Uh, we can also see it in his letter to the, uh, to the Corinthians. That idea of, of being sound in, in our faith. And again, uh, I, this isn't the title being of the Christian faith. This is sound in what we are putting our trust in or who we are putting our trust in. Sound in our trust in God for what He is doing. And so this is our, our upward focus, that we are to be sound in, in our relationship with God, in our understanding of who He is and how we are putting our trust in Him. Uh, we are also to be sound in love. And that is outward focused. That is uh, living rightly and believing rightly in, in our relationships with other people, in the way that we deal with uh, uh, those that are within our, in our own families, those that are within our congregations, those that are within our communities, those that are in leadership and authority over us. Uh, that, that, that our lives would be characterized by love for others. And then that we would be sound in endurance or steadfastness, um, as, it's, as it's written here. Uh, that that kind of patience, persistence, perseverance through difficult times, that, that, that through the, the disciplines of our lives, that we would be... Um, uh, strong in our own understanding of who Christ is and in our own relationship with Christ so that it would then affect all the rest of, of our relationships and everything that we do in our, in our behavior. Um, being steadfast is, is being consistent so that other people can count on us. That is such an important part of the role of, of older men in our congregation that they would have that kind of consistency, that they wouldn't be uh, uh, tossed to and fro of, uh, of, of their uh, doubt or, or that, that, that they would um, one point be living lives that were reflecting the character of God and other times that they were uh, more pursuing their own pleasures and things like that, that there we would have uh, a consistency that... that uh, that the younger folks would be able to look at and would would uh, depend on and be able to uh, to count on following after and and using them as an example. That's the same idea for older women. As he goes on, he says, likewise, in the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine, but they are to teach what is good and so train young women. Uh, 
That whole idea of being a mentor, of coming alongside younger women, those that are new in the faith, those that are new mothers, that are new in raising their children, that the older women would be able to come alongside them, encourage them, that would be able to pray with them, that would be able to, to, to challenge them and correct them when there is struggles that they're facing in their lives. What a, what a great treasure that is for, for younger people to have somebody with some maturities, with some um, uh, longevity in their relationship with Christ to be able to come alongside them. And for older folks, this is uh, for older, uh, for, for the men as well as for the women. Where are you pouring your life into? Are there younger people that you have, the Lord has laid on your heart that you would come alongside and, and guide and mentor and be an example to them? Uh, that you would meet with them and, and pray with them and encourage them and build those kinds of relationships that, that would encourage them in their, in their walk with Christ. It is, it's a difficult thing to do. Um, our, our culture isn't really set up for that kind of mentoring kind of relationships and yet that is so valuable in each one of our lives to be able to have somebody that would invest in us and somebody that we would then be able to invest in as well. Older women are not to be slanderers. Your words should be building people up but not undermining them for by focusing on what's wrong, on their weaknesses and things like that. That can be easy for us who have walked with God for, uh, for many years in our lives and to be able to look down our noses at those that are trying and, and, and falling, that they are being weak, and to be able to, to point fingers and talk about you know, their, that individual's um, shortcomings and, and, and how that person uh, is, is, is not reflecting um, these kinds of characteristics. Paul is encouraging us not to be that kind of gossip, not to be that kind of an individual that is there tearing people down, but rather that you are there to encourage, to build up, rather than pointing out somebody else's weakness, being able to come alongside them and encourage them and, and, and coach them and be an example and a mentor uh, to them. Those are the things that, that are crucial in the, the life of, of, of the church and relationships that are going on here. And that's the essence of discipleship. Then he goes on to talk about the things that, that older women are to be teaching the younger women. Uh, that, they should be, uh, that they should love their husbands and their children. Uh, that they should be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Yeah, you'll see each one of these uh, these different generations, uh, the sense of, of being self-controlled is a, is a key part um, that, that we wouldn't live life in excess, that we wouldn't allow things to distract us, that we wouldn't be um, uh, easily taken in 
by temptations and, and, and ideas in this world, but, but we would be self-controlled. We would live lives that, that reflect the character of Christ, that, that are pure and, and holy. And that's something that is, is uh, as well encouraged here in, in younger women. Uh, that they would love their husbands, uh, that they would love their children. Um, there's one part in here that, that I know some people kind of chafe at a little bit when he says that, that younger women should be working at home, uh, that they should be submissive to their husbands. Um, again, that's a that's a topic that doesn't float well here in, in our society, in our culture. And, and on one hand, um, you know, when you look at this passage, you can see how there is a cultural context that Paul is speaking into. So when he is telling younger women that they should be working in their own homes, um, partly as a reflection that there weren't a lot of employment opportunities for women in first century Rome, uh, in that whole uh, ancient Near East culture. Um, the, the employment opportunities uh, were limited to, uh, to things that were, that, that were of uh, immoral nature, of, of being priestesses, of, of being involved in, in sex trade and things like that. There wasn't a lot of opportunities for women to hold a job outside of the home. And so part of that can, can come with a, a cultural context. I think also that helps us see that as uh, somewhat as a, a that we, it's, it, you can understand how people would interpret that as, as a, a culturally um, specific kind of instruction when it talks about how the Word of God might not be reviled um, through the actions and the behaviors of women. And I think that uh, that helps us understand that part of Paul's motivation and, and his, his decision behind stating this is about the, the, the impact that it was having on the culture around um, that, uh, that there was an, an understanding that in that particular culture, uh, women in the home was, was the, the significant thing. And so I don't think that it's, it is necessarily inaccurate to, to say that this is a, a cultural instruction that may not uh, necessarily connect with people today. But at the same time, um, I have to say that I see the value of having having a, a stable um, parental instruction in the home. Um, to be able to have uh, somebody who is there who is, who is dedicated and focused on raising the children. Um, when we look at what is going on in education in, in our world, whether it is within schools or even into daycares and things of like that, there is all kinds of instruction that I don't think we want our children to be um, uh, ingesting, to be uh, putting into their hearts and minds. And so for, for parents to be able to have somebody who can be at home, who can help raise the children, um, is something that, that, that gives a, a, a consistency in the life of the child, uh, that there is, there is that, that 
um, individual, that, that, uh, that person in their lives that, that they can always count on, that's always there, that's always uh, able to, to help them through the struggles. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that children shouldn't be in, in public schools and things like that. I think that there's lots of value for, for different children for being in public schools. But to have a parent at home that they can know when things are going wrong that is there to be able to care for them. Um, my uncle, uh, in, the, in their family, it made the most sense for him to be that individual that would be at home. Um, my aunt was a, a school teacher, and, and she had a much more consistent um, employment than he did. And so uh, she went and, and did the teaching, and then he stayed at home. And that was, you know, I talked with him, and he... he, he One of the part of the greatest part of his life is having that opportunity of raising his two girls and his son, of being there in the home and caring for them and being that uh, parental f- uh, figure in their lives. I think that that certainly is is um, uh, a, a valuable way within this world in within our current culture to be able to to do those kinds of things. Um, but at the same time, I think there is value in this, in what Paul is saying here, uh, that that kind of a, of a, of a care for your home is, is an important thing that, that, that there would be somebody in that family that would um, look after that kind of responsibility. You know, our, our call, the mandate that we have from Genesis chapter 1 to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth and have uh, uh, and to subdue creation uh, to subdue all of that God has created the whole idea of that is leading all of creation into worship of God and we have not fulfilled our responsibility when we when we just bring children into the world but rather that we would be leading those children into becoming godly young men and women who can lead and guide creation into worship of God. That's something that happens best in the home uh, with parents that we're investing in their children and in their, and in their lives. Young men should also be self-controlled. That they would show themselves to be respects, to, uh, to be a, a model of good works. To, in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. Have sound speech that cannot be condemned so that any opponent may, not be, that may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Again, you see the focus of this, of, of, of the encouragement in living a life as a young man that, that is self-controlled, that is uh, living out sound doctrine, is the impact that it has on the watching world. There is there's such a destructive influence that we can have uh, through our testimony. Uh, when, when we live lives that, that chase after our own agendas, that chase after our, our own um, ideas and pleasures, the world sees that. And it, and it undermines the truth that is there in Scripture. 
And all of these, all of these encouragements, all of these behaviors that accord with sound doctrine are, are a means for us to have an effective testimony in this world. That we can show that, that the, the message of Christ is different than what is being taught in the world. That there is a positive impact that happens from people who are followers of Jesus Christ. That they live lives that focus on loving others. That they live lives that are consistent, that are trustworthy, uh, that, that are full of integrity, that reveal the importance of being self-controlled, that aren't getting washed away in excess of whatever that might be, whether it's excess of, of food, excess of, of uh, uh, social media entertainment, of, of um, uh, drugs or of alcohol, any of those excesses that would, would drive us away, that, that, that take our focus away from accomplishing good works in this world. None of that is possible for us to be able to just live that out on our own. And I know that as I have been preparing this message, there are things that the Spirit is pointing out in my life where I am allowing excesses to distract my attention from the things that I should be or could be doing, living a life that, that is missing God's, God's focus. And I think that's part of the purpose of why these kinds of passages are in Scripture for us, is that it gives us a moment of, of stopping, saying, Lord, where are those places in my life where I am missing the mark? Where I am allowing the ideas that are in this world to, to suck me into a, a worldview that, that, that has a negative impact that is getting me away from, uh, from what you have called me to live, that, that, that stops me from living out the fruit of the Spirit that you call us to, to be producing in our lives. And, and to as that psalm says, that, that we would come to that place of asking, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Um, it is easy in our culture to skip over this, these passages um, and to say, well, we're not legalistic and so uh, we're not going to get caught up in trying to say this is the way you have to be living and putting everybody in, in rigid lines. And we miss the value of stopping and allowing the Spirit to put His finger on an area of our relationship with God that is gone awry that is messed up and is resulting in behavior that does not reflect sound doctrine, that doesn't accord with right teaching about who God is.
So I wanted to take some time here this morning for us just to allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in our lives here, that work of, of convicting, of, of um, pointing out some of those areas in our lives where we are missing the mark. And, and, and then in a, a, an act of, of obedience and, and repentance to be able to lay those at the feet of the cross and invite Jesus to come and transform that part of your life to fix that part of your doctrine, your relationship with God, so that your life would then reflect that kind of behavior that, um, that is in accord with sound doctrine. Uh, let me just encourage you, in the silence of these next few moments, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and put His finger on those places in your lives that He wants to see a transformation happen. Let's pray. So Lord, we ask that You would do Your convicting work in our hearts here. Um, give us the courage to be able to face honestly what it is that You want us to change. And then give us the strength uh, to follow You to make those changes, Lord. Lord, if we were to have any victory over those areas of sin in our lives, we need Your help. We need the, the enablement of Your Spirit um, to repent, to turn away from those things that have, that have grabbed our attention, that have that have enslaved our passions and instead turn to follow You. So Lord, I pray that, that You would come and, and transform our hearts so that we would no longer reflect 
the character and, and, and DNA of our, of our society around us, but rather uh, that our lives would show you, would be different in this world, uh, would be focused on love, on integrity, on truth, on forgiveness, on being self-controlled. Lord, we need Your help. And so our prayer is this next song so so aptly puts it, Lord, we need You. We need You.